Well, good morning. Merry late Christmas. But it's great to be back together with you guys. Uh, it's always an honor and a privilege to bring God's word. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 today. But before we read the text, I'm going to take a little bit of a privilege because I have a microphone and you have to listen. We're going to talk a little bit about, just for two minutes, about how to read the Bible well and how to read it carefully. A lot of times we're so excited about applying what the Bible says that we apply it directly to our lives and insert ourselves directly into like the main characters of the story. And sometimes that's not always the best thing to do. Sometimes it's not always the most careful. So like an example would be the story of David and Goliath, which most of you are familiar with. Sometimes the application we take from that and sometimes the message we hear is, okay, what are the giants in your life that with the power of God you need to help slay? That's not a bad thing. Scripture says we're more than conquerors in Christ. That's certainly true. There are often things that we need to face up to and, and combat in our lives. But, but is that the main point of that message? Is that what God's trying to communicate? And if we know a little bit more about the context of the book and about the pattern of the Old Testament, we see something really different. We see a picture of God's people in a desperate, hopeless situation, facing a giant that they have no hope of beating and basically sitting on the sideline quaking. When God steps in and provides his deliverer through his power to save the day, to rescue, to provide life and hope. Does it sound slightly familiar? It's because it's the gospel. And it's all throughout the Bible. And that passage, even with David and Goliath, is pointing us to Jesus. So a better reading of that might be to put ourselves in the place of the Israelites, scared and saying, we need a deliverer. And let us look to Christ as our deliverer. Christ as the one who wins the battle and less of ourselves as David, who needs to go out and slay the giants in our lives. Does that make sense? Okay, why do I even talk about that? We're in 2 Corinthians. We're not even in the Old Testament. Well, as I was preparing this message, it's a passage about what does it mean to be an ambassador of Christ. And I thought, man, all right, that'll preach. We're ambassadors of Christ. I'm an ambassador. You're an ambassador. I started reading the context. I started reading around it. I said, wait, Paul's talking about himself. Wait, Paul's... Paul's talking about himself and the other apostles. Wait, can I even say that? Can I say we're ambassadors? But I'm going to say that. But let me show you a little work of why I think that's an appropriate application today. So Paul is one of the apostles, one of those chosen by Jesus, witness to the resurrected Christ, who had authority to establish the church, to establish the New Testament. An important deal, and somewhat particular well, in this book, he's defending his apostleship, which has come under attack. Some of the people have gone to the Corinthian church and said, hey, don't listen to that guy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. So he's defending himself, saying, no, really, I do have this ministry of reconciliation. I am an ambassador of Christ. But scripture also tells us in Ephesians 2.20 that the church, we, God's people, are built on the foundation of the apostles and of the prophets. So in many ways, we as the church have inherited the message of the apostles contained in the New Testament, God's word to us, but we have also inherited the ministry of the apostles as well, the great commission to go into all the world and to make disciples. So Paul is talking about himself and his fellow apostles and their office and their ministry of reconciliation. But as those who have inherited that message and who have inherited that ministry, it is very appropriate for us, too, to say we are ambassadors of that same message. We are ambassadors of that same reconciliation. So all that is a very long introduction to say, 
This is God's very word, and, and we need to read it and handle it carefully, study it carefully, certainly apply it to our lives, but to do that as thoughtfully and as prayerfully as possible. Phew, okay, now we're ready. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to be reading verses 11 through 21, but really focusing in on 14 through 21. The word should be with you uh, in the insert in your bulletin or up on the screen behind me. So read along with me uh, as we look at God's word this morning. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For we, if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you that you have given us your word. Um, Thank you that you have preserved it. Thank you that you have built up your church. I ask this morning, Lord, that you would speak. This is your word. Your word matters. It is living. It is active. So would you use my words to communicate clearly your message this morning? Holy Spirit, would you you make our hearts tender to listen, uh, to be moved by your word, to see afresh the beauty of a God who would reconcile us to himself. We thank you for it, and we give you this time. In the name of Christ, amen. So, Christy and I don't have kids, but kids are great, right? We were at her, the church she grew up in last week for Christmas Eve service, and they they had a little children's sermon section. Uh, And in one of the sections, the pastor was doing an illustration for the kids using $100 bills, which I think were real. We were kind of back in the cheap seats. I couldn't tell. But $100 bills to show how valuable Christ is, how valuable it is that he came. And about halfway through, one of the kids starts doing the windshield wiper. Like, pick me! And I'm thinking, okay, his arm's going to get tired. No, that kid's just going. He's waving at it. I mean, it's, it's obvious to everyone. The pastor keeps talking for about two minutes. He's finishing up. He's making his point. He's really driving it home. That kid is, I mean, he's the Energizer battery. He can't stop. 
So the pastor finally, he's a very gracious man, says, do, do you have a question? And the kid said, yeah, can I have one of those $100 bills? <laughs> I kid you not, it actually happened. And if you're the parents of this kid, you're either thinking, man, good grasp of economics early on, nice. Or you're mortified, trying to hide down in your seat, saying, I don't know who that kid is. But our kids provide a real example of what it is to have somebody else represent us, for good or for bad. Parents, you may be at the playground, and you may be saying, yep, that's my kid sharing her toys with her friends. That's awesome. Or you may be there saying, yep, that's my son playing naked in the fountain. Yep. (sighs) That one belongs to me. And sometimes we probably will identify too much in the actions of our kids and probably may need some correctives on our hearts for that. But the point is, we know what it's like to have somebody act as our ambassador, to act on our behalf, to represent us. And that's what we're talking about this morning. What does it mean for us to be ambassadors of Christ, to be ambassadors of reconciliation? And for some of us, we may have never thought about it before. And for others, we're not sure we want to think about it. And for some like me, you're kind of scared. You're like, well, I really don't want to screw that up. And so I think it's worth talking about what does it mean for us to be an ambassador of Christ? How do we do that? And this morning we're going to see this passage shows us three important things that to, to live our lives as ambassadors we really have to embrace. And the first is we have to embrace the motive of reconciliation. What's the motive of, our, of an ambassador of reconciliation? The second is going to be what are, what are the means of reconciliation that we have to know and understand? And the third is what is the mission of reconciliation? So that's the roadmap. That's kind of where we're going to go today and what we're going to talk about. Well, first off, What's the motive? What motivates Paul? If you know anything about the life of Paul, he got beat up a lot. He got stoned. He had to deal with some really obstinate people who would accept his message and then reject his message and would believe and then kind of doubt. And I mean, he had to face through a lot of hard stuff. So what would motivate him? What would drive him through that and allow him to stick with it and to sustain through those challenges? Well, it tells us, we read it right in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Does anybody have a version that says something slightly different? If you have an NIV, I think it says the love of Christ compels us. But the idea is that the love of Christ is Paul's north star. It is his guiding force. It is the thing that moves him, that decides where he goes, uh, that is the bedrock that directs where his life is going. It is the motivating factor for who he is, for what he does, and for why. And it makes sense. You think about uh, Paul. Paul was going off murdering Christians. He was having them arrested, having them thrown into jail before he met Jesus. He was no friend to Christ. And you've got to imagine Paul's understanding this, and then Jesus appears to him and says, why are you persecuting me? Why are you attacking me? You've got to imagine that was probably a rough moment for Paul. Probably thinking like, oh no, (laughs) I've been attacking God. That's not where I want to be. Then he understands that Christ comes to him in compassion to save him, to wipe away all the evil he's done, to give him a new identity. For Paul, what else could be even more motivating than that? What could be more compelling than to be brought from death, to be brought from being an enemy of God, to being a friend, to being a son, a child? And it's something so compelling that it really causes us to look beyond ourselves. And that's what the very next verse says. 
it says in verse 15, uh, starting in 14 and 15, we've concluded that he has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might not no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now, it uses the word all in there a lot. Uh, and we know from many places in Scripture uh, that Christ's death does not save all people. You can even flip down two verses to verse 17 where it adds the important qualifier. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. But the point is that those who know Christ, those who see him, those whose eyes have been opened, uh, they've died to themselves. They have died to their sin. They have died to what's ugly and what's broken in the world. And they've been brought alive to love, alive to a reconciled relationship with God, brought alive to a bigger life, a life that matters, a life that's meaningful, a life that's compelling. So what has to motivate an ambassador of Christ? Well, it has to be the love of Christ. It has to be understanding that he died for us and therefore we live for him. Okay, well, it's always worth asking the so what question, right? So what? Why does that matter? Well, imagine in our talking with other people who aren't Christians, what happens if something other than the love of Christ motivates us and compels us? Imagine you're talking to someone and maybe pride or judgment is what's motivating you. You're probably going to talk to that person with a real position of superiority of like, you need to get your life together. You are a mess. You're doing dumb things. Stop it. Be better. Does that sound like the love of Christ? It's not. If we come from that position, we're not really going to care for that person. We're not actually going to love them. And we're not actually going to remember that in our own hearts, we desperately need the reconciling love of Christ for ourselves. And we will completely miss it. One that's much more of a favorite for myself is what happens if fear or anxiety is driving that conversation? Well, first off, it might never happen because we're looking for ways to avoid being an ambassador as often as possible because... We're scared of what people are going to say or what people are going to think. And then if we do have that conversation, it's probably just going to be really awkward. And we're trying to say, Jesus loves you and he died for you and that's nice. Goodbye. Which, you know, makes them feel awkward. And they're like, wow, that's a really embarrassing message. That's so compelling. That doesn't sound like the love of Christ either. But what if love motivates us? If love motivates us, we're able to slow down to actually care for the person we're talking to, more than about just getting out the gospel message, because we trust God. We know that he's at work. We can actually love and care for them. We can actually be calm, be interested, be excited, remembering what Christ has done for us. We're just passing on what's happened to us. We're just passing on what we know. That sounds a lot more like Jesus, doesn't it? So if we're going to be an ambassador of Christ, it has to be the love of Christ that compels us. And not just when we talk to others, but in all of our lives. So it begs the question, what does control you? What does motivate your life? What drives your decisions, your conversations, your interactions with others? What's the driving force? And I will humbly, as one who needs to be reminded of this every day, remind you that if it's not love, if love is not what motivates you, then at some point along the way, you have a fundamental misunderstanding of the reconciliation of Christ. Because if we understand that, if we understand what he's done, 
and it's hard for anything else to be what compels us. And we're going to forget it. We're going to forget it and be, need to be reminded of it every day. But if it's something else that's driving us, we don't yet fully understand the gospel. And if that's you this morning, you just need to stop. You need to go to God. You need to go to his word and understand and soak in the amazing love of Christ for you. Till that gets so deep in your bones that it's what drives you in all of your life. Has to be motivated by love if you're going to be an ambassador of Christ. Well, you have to also understand the means of reconciliation. And what I mean by that, the means which God has reconciled us to himself. What did God do that allowed us to be in a reconciled relationship? Now, imagine this morning if, imagine if I, if I picked somebody out of the crowd here and said, hey, um, here's 20 bucks, 20 bucks, would you go buy a Christmas present for my wife? Well, first off, you should all be like, boo, bat, get that guy out of here. That's not a very loving thing. But second, that's probably not going to work too well because you may or may not actually know Christy. You may or may not actually know the things that she cares about. It's a bad plan, and I did not do that, and nor should any of you, to be clear. But the point is, you can't represent something you don't know. If you don't know Christ, you can't represent him. If you don't know what he's done, you can't be an ambassador for him. And that's why it's essential for us this morning. Do we understand the message of reconciliation? And to do that, do we really see Jesus clearly? Do we understand him? Because Paul didn't at first. He says it right there. He says, we used to view him according to the flesh. That means just as a man. Now, there's a lot of views out there that talk about Jesus as a man. Some people say, he was a great teacher. Well, yeah, he was a great teacher. But the greatest teacher in the world can't make peace between you and God. That falls short of what this message is, of what it says Jesus is. And some say, well, you know, he was a great example. I mean, he was a martyr. He lived selflessly. He gave his life. Yeah, absolutely. But a great example encourages us to do better and to try harder. And the message of scripture is that failed pretty well. You can't be good enough. You can't try hard enough to get somewhere. If you could have, Jesus wouldn't have needed to come down. A good example is not enough. A good teacher is not enough. But what is the means of reconciliation? Who is Jesus and what did he actually do? Let's jump down to verse 21, which is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. It says, for our sake, for us, he, meaning God, made him, meaning Jesus, God made Jesus to be sin, the one who knew no sin, so that in him, those who know him, we might become the righteousness of God. It's something we like to call the great exchange, right? So you're standing over here on this side as one who's really blown it. God has made you. He said, here's how to live your life. And you say, that's great, but I've got some other plans that seem really nice too, and I'm just going to go over here and do them. And so really we're standing as people in rebellion against our creator. People that have said, that's nice, no, I'm going to go my own way. People that have deserved and still deserve God's justice and his judgment. That has been well earned by our shortcomings, by the ways we have lived our lives, by the way we have rejected God. And you've got the person over here, Jesus, who has loved God perfectly, who has lived a perfect life, 
who has never erred, who has never sinned, and is just the image of perfection. And God takes this guy over here, and he takes all of our ugly, all of our sin, all of our shame, all of the punishment that we have well earned, and puts it on Jesus' shoulders. That's why he died on the cross for us. Taking the punishment, taking the sin, taking the shame. And he takes the perfect relationship with the Father. He takes the perfect obedience. The beloved Son of God takes all that he has rightfully earned and puts it on our shoulders. That is what it means to be reconciled. You have come from being an enemy of God to being a son of God, dearly loved and standing in the perfection of Jesus. Wow. Could something be more compelling? I don't think so. That is the means of reconciliation that we have to understand. And if we understand it, it's going to drive our hearts and it's going to drive our lives. And as someone who loves and cares for you, I have to ask, which position are you in this morning? Now, are you standing where the only thing you can expect from God is rightfully earned justice and judgment? because you have not accepted Christ, because you have not accepted that reconciliation? Or do you stand as a dearly loved child? The passage goes on to say, today is the day of salvation. So if that's something you don't know and sounds appealing to you, you need it. And I would be delighted to talk to you about it. Larry Wood, all of our leaders here would be happy to talk to you about it. We'll have people set up to pray for anyone who needs it at the end of service. They would love to talk to you about it. Today is the day of salvation to embrace this means of reconciliation if you haven't yet. We have to understand the motive of an ambassador of reconciliation. We have to understand the means of reconciliation. And when we understand the means of reconciliation, when we see Jesus, we see everything different too. Right? Verse 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Having been made new, having been given a new identity as a son of God or a daughter of God, a child of God, dearly loved, new creation. Well, a lot of us don't feel very new this morning. Well, let's be honest. Some of us are thinking, man, that was the worst Christmas ever. I yelled at everyone I care about and I feel pretty rotten and awful. There is a tension of a now and a not yet. You have been made new if you are in Jesus. You are clothed in all the goodness of Jesus and at the same time, that is a process going to the completion where it's going to be finished in Jesus with your perfection. So there's a tension there. But if you see Jesus clearly, you see yourself as a new creation, and you see others differently too. We just read, it said, we don't view anyone according to the flesh. That means just according to the physical world. So that person is not just an annoying little sibling. That person is not just a frustrating boss who seems to be a little bit incompetent. That person is an eternal person. That person is a person made in the image of God who either knows the reconciliation of Christ or who desperately needs to. There are no normal people that you encounter in the world. So if we see Jesus, we see ourselves differently as a new creation, we see others differently as people either embracing reconciliation or in need of it. Have to have the right motive, have to have the right means, and you have to have the right mission. Uh, I don't know if any of you, how many of you have heard of Harry Chapin, singer-songwriter? You can actually raise your hand for this. Okay. So no one under 30. Great. 
Harry Chapin was a singer-songwriter that I had an English teacher introduce me to, and he's a wonderful wordsmith, uh, a great craftsman of song, and he wrote a song most of you are familiar with called The Cats in the Cradle. The cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. You guys know it. Little boy blue and the man of the moon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when, but we'll be together then. And it's a beautiful song, and we sing it. It's also heart-wrenching because it's a story of a son who's saying, Dad, when are we going to be together? When are we going to hang out? And the father who's like, oh, I don't know, but it's going to happen, and it's going to be great. It's a story of promises that aren't met with actions. The son saying, oh, you got me a new ball. When are we going to throw it? Oh, not now. It's busy. I'm busy, but but soon we're going to get together, and we're going to have a great time then. Empty promises. And the song so painfully turns when the father's the one saying, when are we going to get together? When are we going to spend time together? And the child's saying, I don't know, but it's going to happen, and it's going to be great. It's a song about promises that aren't met with actions. And we know the sting of that. Hey, let's get together sometime. That's probably not going to happen. We know the sting of it is what, what it is when someone says something and it's not backed up by their deeds. Word and action have to go together. Well, the reverse is also true. Sometimes just acting without words isn't good enough. If I saw somebody with a flat tire on the side of the road and I helped them fix their tire and I sent them on the way, man, I'm a great guy. I'm awesome. I didn't tell them that the road was washed out two miles ahead and they're probably going to plummet to their doom. Actions without words are not always helpful. They have to go together, and Scripture is so clear that word and deed always are met together. Always. Faith without works is dead. Your worship without acts of service is annoying noise to God. They have to go together. And that's exactly what our passage tells us today. If you look at verses 18 and 19, it used two different words here. It says that we, uh, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And I don't want to make too big a deal about pulling these apart because they go together in the, ministry, the mission of reconciliation, but there is a ministry, a doing part, and a message part. We talked about the means, that's the message, and they have to both go together. So let's talk about the message part real quick. First Peter 3 says that we need to always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. With gentleness and respect, but we need to be prepared to give an answer, which means we have to know the means of reconciliation. Folks, if you know Jesus, you have a story to tell. You've been reconciled to God, and that's a big deal. And it may not have been in dramatic fashion. It may have been simply my parents told me about Jesus and I learned to trust in him. But you've been brought from death to life. You have a story to tell. Are you willing to? Are you willing to, with words, share the message of reconciliation with those who don't know it? Now, that may not mean being a street preacher yelling on the side of the road. It probably doesn't. But are you looking for opportunities to love and care for people and share reconciliation? Are you praying and asking God to provide those opportunities? Another question is, do you know anyone who's not a Christian who goes to church? Listen, I went to a Christian college, I went to a seminary, and I've worked at churches. I understand. But I had one professor give a great bit of advice and said, find whatever you like to do 
and do it with people who don't yet know Jesus. So sometimes I go play soccer with people who don't know Jesus, and it gives me a chance to build those relationships. Are you actually building relationships with people who need the message of reconciliation? Well, and it's not just the words. It also has to be the ministry of reconciliation. I love that song that we sang. And there's a line in there that says, dancers who dance upon injustice. We should be people who care about things like injustice. Are we people who pursue uh, and try to live out the things that are values in the kingdom of God? Do we care about justice? Do we care about peace? Do we care about reconciliation? Are we welcoming in those who are hurting and broken in our own lives and in our church? Those who are outsiders? Are our words backed up by our actions? They have to go together. Have to go together. Word and deed have to be wed for the mission of reconciliation. One of the implications of that is that everywhere you go and in everything you do, you are functioning as an ambassador of Christ. You are representing Christ to the world. So, husbands, how you care about your wives, how you love them, how you care for them, represents Christ to the world. Wives, how you love your husbands, how you care about them, represents Christ to the world. How you treat your family members that drive you crazy, how you interact with your siblings, how you parent, all of those things represent Christ to the world. Everything we do and in every way. Now, I don't have time to dig into everything, but maybe you need to take a couple minutes this week to think of what does it mean for me to be an ambassador of reconciliation in the relationships God has put me in, in the situations God has put me in? Am I doing it on purpose? Do I even, am I even aware that it's happening? And what does it mean for you, even at your school, to be an ambassador of reconciliation? Sometimes we do uh, something in our small group called, how are you coming in? And we take a couple minutes, how are you coming in this morning? And for some of you, you may be coming in off of the worst Christmas of your life. For some of you, you may be coming in off the best Christmas of your life. Some of you just may be exhausted and feeling pretty terrible right now. It happens. We can be honest. This isn't a place to hide and pretend. Some of you may be feeling, hearing this message and feeling really guilty. Like, I do not get this right. I constantly fail at it, and I suck. I should try harder. This is terrible. And what I would encourage you to remember this morning is that Christ has come to bring you reconciliation. He came into the junk. He came into the mess. He came into the pain and the chaos of our world, died, was and rose again so that you could have peace in the midst of the craziness, so that you could have joy, so that you could have life even when it seems pretty awful out there. And the message of reconciliation this morning means that you don't come with all of your junk needing to hide from God, feeling like a big screw-up. It means you come to him as a loving father who says, let me wipe away that dirt. Let me heal up those wounds. Let me bind up those broken bones from the kicking you've taken in life this week. You come with one who says, let me have all of your guilt, all of your shame, and let me give you my beauty, my glory to be clothed in. 
So this morning, hear a message of hope. Don't hear a message of, you need to get your stuff together, try harder, be better. Hear a message of hope that God has brought you reconciliation. God has brought you life and peace in the midst of a completely crazy world and a completely broken heart. But let me also say, let us not dare to keep that message to ourselves. We so desperately need the message of reconciliation in our own hearts. We so desperately need to remember how well loved we are by God, how much he is making us whole, but so does the world. It is a broken and hurting and chaotic and angry and confused place, and we have a message of hope and life. And sometimes that message is going to be completely rejected. That's fine. But Lord, help us not to dare keep it to ourselves. So this morning, I would encourage you, do you know it? Do you own that message in your own heart? Are you reconciled with God? And are you, do you see its beauty? Do you see its compellingness enough that it drives you to want to share that with those who God puts in your path? Brothers and sisters, we have an amazing calling. It is as if God is making his appeal through us. That's incredible. It seems a little ridiculous sometimes, like maybe you should have chosen better. But it's an amazing truth that you have been given the mission of reconciliation, a beautiful and amazing mission. So my hope and my prayer is that that drives us, that compels us, and we know deeply what it is to be reconciled to Christ this morning. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you that you came. We are in a hopeless place without you. Would you remind us of the life that you give? Would you remind us of the hope that you give? Would you fill our hearts so much with your love that we cannot keep it to ourselves? Help us to embrace our calling with joy that we are your ambassadors here on earth. Thank you for that calling. Thank you for the, the dignity and the honor that it gives us. But before we try to go out and be your ambassador, would you let each of us know so deeply your compelling love? Would we know so deeply how much you love us, how much you are healing us, how much you are bringing deliverance and salvation to our lives even today? God, we ask for all of this in the name of Jesus, our great reconciler. Amen.